Amen. Lord, we do exalt and magnify and lift up your name. You are so worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, to be glorified. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of drawing near to you. Lord, we pray now as we go to your word that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, if you missed out earlier, you're going to need one. Amen? Amen. Read the book, don't. Wait for the movie, get your Bible out. Amen? If you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing our verse by verse, chapter, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. I want to encourage you on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament. We just started Joshua last week. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out to that as well. Now, Galatians. Those of you who've been coming, I know it's by way of review, but I review with you guys a lot. You know why? Because God reviews with us a lot in His Word. Amen? Amen. And reviews with us because we're thick and we forget. Because we just don't even remember what we had for breakfast this morning, right? And God is wanting to remind us and, again, exhort us again and again and again to understanding His grace. It's so sad that He would have to, again, tell us over and over and over again about the greatest gift of all to make us really grasp the grace of God. Galatia was not a city, it was a region with numerous cities. We know within that region, Paul had planted numerous churches. The word gets back to him after this church started well, was running well, was doing mighty things for the kingdom of God, that now they've fallen into legalism. What has happened is these Judaizers have come in and begin to tell them that the gospel of grace and that the cross of Christ is not enough. We must add to it. There's something else. Well, yeah, you've got the cross, but really you don't really have it all unless you have this. You ever heard that before? There's a lot of people doing that today. And so he, he... gets very exhortive right off the bat and tells them, if you are adding to the gospel of Christ, it is anathema. You're preaching another gospel. The word for anathema means accursed. He said, you know what, if you add to the gospel of Christ, it's not the gospel anymore. He then tells them it's, we're justified by faith and not by our works. He contrasted, as we saw last week, the son of promise and the son of the flesh. Then we try to do things in our ability, it is fruitless. We must learn to trust in the grace of God. And again, the joy that comes from understanding His love and His mercy. Now as we come to these final two chapters, we're going to move from argument to application, from the doctrinal to the practical, from educating them in the truth to exhorting them to stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ. Now liberty, we're going to talk about that today. The title of the message is Standing Fast in Liberty. And I want you to understand something, that liberty has two enemies. And the two enemies are, one that we've been talking about a lot so far, is legalism. And the other enemy of liberty is license. Legalism is that we must do something else to be saved. We must do other things to be pleasing in the sight of God. Let me say this right now. The church as a whole, we are not where we could be with Christ. Is that true? But I want you also to know that when he looks at us, he sees a pure and holy bride. Why? Because he doesn't look at us through our good works, but through the shed blood of his son. And because he does, he sees us holy and righteous and perfect. What a great God we serve, amen? 
I mean, you know what? I'm blown away that he that knows me best loves me most. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done. And he loves me so much he'd rather die than live without me. What a great God we serve. But legalism would say, well, that's not enough. You've got to add this. You've got to add that. And we've been talking about that through the first four chapters. Well, the other enemy is license. And this is where we're, we're not concerned at all about our, our actions. It's the point where we've got the get out of hell free card in our wallet, so now we can live like the world. You know what? I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I said the things I needed to say. You know, I signed a, you know, the membership form. I'm in. I got the promise of heaven, and now I'm just going to go live like the world. But you know what? Anybody who's truly been born again can't live like the world because you're so convicted about your sin. Amen? Amen. And you're not convicted because of the law. You're convicted because of the love you have for God and the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's love that motivates us, not the law. Amen? And we praise God we've been seeing that we're no longer under the law. So this week, what we're going to be looking at because ultimately, here's the question, you guys. Here's the question. The question is, how do I establish a right standing before God? How do I do it? Do I do it by being really good? By going to church a lot? By being a good person? By reading my Bible? By going and giving to charity? Is that how I establish a right relationship with God? You know, those are all good things. And I recommend all of them. But let me tell you right now, you can go to church every day of the week, four times a day for the rest of your life, and you won't have right standing before God if that's all you've done. You can pray. You can read your Bible. You can give to charity. You can be the kindest person that people have ever met. People can talk to you about you at your funeral as being a good man. He was such a good man. Everybody's a good man at their funeral. You ever notice that? He was a good one. She was a good woman. He was a good man. And you know what? You can be a good man separated from Almighty God for all eternity because there's none righteous, no, not one. That's the truth. And so the point is that we cannot have right standing before God by keeping the law. By the way, if that were true, if we could do it, then Jesus died on the cross in vain. But we can't do it. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Amen? Amen. The law is a standard. You want to use that for the standard for your life? We're going to see that today, that you get to choose two different standards, the law or grace. Choose one, and choose only one, and live by that one. And we know that the results are greatly different. It's not by keeping the law, but it's by simple faith in Christ. And now having become new creations in Christ, do we walk in license? Do we walk in sin? Do we say, I've got my get out of hell free card, I want to live like the world now? Or have we been liberated from sin? Liberty is not a license to sin, it's Freedom from sin. And that's what my heart would be that we'd walk out of here with today. So, are we to continue to walk in the flesh and the lustful desires of our heart? Are we going to fall into the same trap that the Judaizers fell into of thinking that somehow they were more, more holy by keeping their actions and doing their works? Are we going to come to the point where we realize it's all Jesus? It's all Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? I can't add to it. I can't do anything instead of it. There is no other way. There is no other path. There is no other hope. It's Jesus Christ alone. So let's take a look beginning in verse 1 of Galatians 5. In standing fast in Christian liberty. How do we stand fast in Christian liberty? We're going to see two sections. We're going to see the results of abandoning liberty for legalism. The results of abandoning liberty for legalism. And then the true 
liberty, that liberty truly produces love and not license. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at the results of abandoning liberty for legalism. Verse 1, stand fast. Now, remember the last chapter ended with him comparing the bondwoman. Remember, last Sunday, Hagar. Hagar was a picture of the law. Hagar from the region of Sinai where the law was given. And what happened? God had given Abraham a promise that he would have a child. Abraham and Sarah, at that time, he was 75 years old. As, as old as 75, and at that time, he was promised he'd have a child. He was going, well, man, I'm pretty old. I don't know how it's going to work. Sarah's 65, I'm 75. Well, guess what? Some time went by, and the promise hadn't taken place, so they decided to help God with this promise. You know, God, maybe you need a little help. And so Sarah comes in and says, Abraham, I got an idea. I got my fine young handmaiden over here. Why don't you marry her and have a baby with her? Maybe that's supposed to be our child. And Abraham looking at his then 75-year-old wife and looking over at the, I don't know how old she was, but a handmaid, she might have been in her 20s or something. And he said, well, that sounds like a good plan. I think that'll work for me. And so he marries her and they have a child, Ishmael. And you know what? Didn't work out too well. Amen? Because when you do things in the flesh, the fruit of it is not good. And we know that the battles that go on in the Middle East today are between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of the promised son, Isaac. So eventually, we know what happened, that God was faithful to his promise and brought Isaac. And if you'll remember that Abraham pleaded, well, just do it through Ishmael, and God said, I can't. I cannot bring my promise through the works of the flesh. Can't do it. And it's interesting that Ishmael could live there and Sarah could have a peace about it until Isaac came. Because the law was the way that we approached God until the son of promise, the ultimate son of promise, Jesus Christ came. And once he came, the law was in, of no effect. People struggle with it. Pastor Dave, you're telling me we're not under the law. I'm not telling you. The Bible tells you we're not under the law anymore. Period. Aren't you glad? Amen. Clap for that. Now sadly, there's too many people that want to return to that bondage. They want to go back to it. You've been set free. I want to go back to jail. It was comfortable there. I like that cell and that hard cot. It was really great, you know? I mean, and they want to return back to that bondage. And here's what he's saying. Look, when the temptations for legalism comes, you need to do this. Stand fast in your liberty. Don't waver in the grace of God. Don't think there's something else that you can add to it that will make you more holy. It doesn't exist. If you turn to anything else, you're making the cross of Christ less than it is. The word stand fast there means to be firm, unwavering, persevering. It means that, that it takes effort to stand fast. Wait a minute, Pastor Dave, are you telling me that there's something I must do? Yes. Wait a minute, you said it's all God. Yes. But I must respond. Yes. Amen? Salvation is a free gift. He did all the work. We simply have to accept the work. We simply have to say, yes, Lord, I want to be made righteous, not because of my failed good works, but because of your good work. And so I come to you. And so God is calling us that there is a time for us to make a decision to stand fast in him. To make a decision, Lord, I'm going to serve you. You're my Lord, my master, my savior, my king. And no matter what the world brings to me, I'm not going to waver in that. Lord, my eyes are upon you. 
I'm not going to take my eyes off of you. I'm not going to turn away to you. I'm not going to fall into the traps of either legalism or license. Stand fast, therefore. Now, why does it say therefore? When you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what it's there for, right? And you, go back to the, you always go back to what he just said. So therefore, stand fast, therefore, in light of the previous four chapters, which is the warnings he had given them. The warnings about the false doctrine of the Judaizers. What were they again, real quick? Number one, they were preaching a different gospel. Beware of a different gospel. It's not the gospel if it adds to the gospel. It is a different gospel. Someone tells you you must be baptized in their church to be saved. That is a different gospel. Amen? Should we be baptized? Absolutely. Do we need to be baptized to be saved? Absolutely not. Because Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. If someone comes to you and tells you you must keep this diet or dress a certain way or do this or do that to be saved, then it's a different gospel. If they tell you that you must knock on 47 doors a week, if they tell you that you must confess your sins to their person in a box or you won't be forgiven that's a different gospel to say that you must have anything else added to the cross of christ makes him a liar when he said on the cross it is finished amen and he said so therefore don't fall into a different gospel therefore know that the law is simply a mirror that reveals our sin and cannot save us therefore in light of the fact that we are accounted righteous by faith not by works Abraham was counted righteous for those who were here early, earlier. And they loved Abraham. Didn't the Jews love Abraham? The Judaizers really loved him. We're of Abraham. They liked that. Word is a moniker. Abraham's boys. That's us. And they walked around talking about Abe and how close they were to him. And how he, you know, we're justified like Abraham. Well, here's the thing, guys. We saw it a few weeks ago. Abraham was justified by faith 430 years before the law existed. And Paul liked to point that out to them. And they weren't real happy when this guy who's a, now a Christian is teaching them the truth about the Old Testament. You know what, can I tell you something right now? If you're a born-again Christian, you know way more about the Old Testament than any Jew walking on this planet who doesn't know God. You know why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And you see Jesus Christ on every page. How can you not see Him? Because He's there. Therefore, in the light, that we're accounted righteous by faith and not by works. Therefore, that knowing that the true source of spiritual maturity is not through religion, but through an intimate relationship. Therefore, in the fact that we are children of the promise, what are we supposed to do? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ made us free. In light of the truth of the gospel of grace and the emptiness of the false doctrine of legalism, stay right where you're at. Don't be tempted and drawn away. Now, On a side note, we often think the legalistic people are the most holy ones. And they're sure to let us know it. Amen? And when you see someone who's legalistic, we think that they are the ones who've really got it figured out because they're keeping so many rules. I wish one day I could keep as many rules as they do. And there's a temptation to start judging how holy we are by how many rules we keep or how many things we don't do. And so now there's a standard, and now there's a pecking order, and the people that don't do this are this holy, and the people that don't do this are even more holy than them. But you know what? The Lord has made us free. And He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And we're not set free by how many laws we keep, because here's the thing, you guys, we still break a ton of them, don't we? 
And because we've broken them, we can't enter into heaven. God can't have one sin in heaven or He's got earth part two. And because He can't have one sin in heaven, we're all sinners, so we can't get there unless our sin's been paid for and doing good works will never wipe out the bad ones we've already done. That's the gospel of grace. It's been paid for, not by our works. Now, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ made us free. The liberty, not a liberty. The liberty by which Christ made us free. The liberty. What is the liberty? It's the one and only source of freedom. From sin, guilt, condemnation, from the penalty and power of sin, from the impossible task of trying to have to earn our own way to God. It's Christ who made us free. We don't make ourselves free. It is a gift given to us by the Lord, received by faith. So what is Christian liberty? Because again, that's a word that makes legalists twitch in their seats. Liberty. Don't say that. Because if you say liberty, people are just going to run out and live like the devil. If you have freedom in Christ, you're just going to live like the devil. That makes absolutely no sense to me. If I have freedom in Christ, then where do I want to stay? In Christ. Because while I'm walking in Christ is when I have freedom. Liberty is not to do whatever my flesh wants. Liberty is, again, freedom that I have from the sin that once overpowered me. I'm free in Christ. And that's what liberty is. When we struggle to free ourselves, what happens? We just become more entangled. Look what it says. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So what is legalism? What is, when we fall into that trap, it is a yoke of bondage. Now what is a yoke? It's an implement by which two oxen are paired together in order to plow a field. A yoke was something that the oxen could never free himself from. And it was a heavy burden that he had to carry around. Now here's the good news. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of the law is heavy and will crush you. It's a yoke of bondage. Jesus Christ is a yoke of freedom. It's a yoke of bondage to turn to the law and try to justify yourself by your own good works because you'll never be able to do it. And no matter how good you do, you'll never be doing good enough. Have you met these people? It breaks your heart, doesn't it? Have you, you know, how many people have met someone who's really legalistic? Raise your hand. How many of you have met somebody who's really legalistic that has a lot of joy? Raise your hand. You know why? Legalism doesn't produce joy. It produces a bondage. A yoke of bondage, a burden, condemnation, a heaviness. I can never be good enough. I can never do good enough. I, man, i got to do better so God will love me. You let me tell you something right now. No matter how much better you do, God will never love you more than He already does right now. And you need to walk out of here knowing that. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. He's a great and awesome God. Jewish law was and is a burdensome yoke with its many rules and rites and rituals. Living by external laws is always going to be so. I met a Jewish man many years ago who told me he had 613 laws he had to keep. And all I could think to say was, how's that working out for you? I know 10 of them, you're not keeping those. So whatever the other 603 are, you're in big trouble. And it's, oh, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. It's not difficult, it's impossible. You can't do it. It's simply the mirror that show you, shows you are a sinner in need of a Savior. 
In Acts 15, these very same circumstances had come where the Judaizers had come in and said, unless you were circumcised, you couldn't be saved. Paul and Barnabas were sent up to the Jerusalem council. And when they got there, the Pharisees said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses for them to be saved. They're saying the Gentiles had to become Jews before they could become Christians. And Peter stood up and had something to say about it. And here's what Peter said. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers or we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. He said, why are you putting a yoke on them that you couldn't keep? Why are you putting this heavy bondage? We tried it, didn't work out. We realized through it that we were sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We realized through the law the necessity for the sacrifices that all pointed to the coming Messiah. And now you're taking that law that we couldn't keep and you're putting it on somebody else. And then he goes on to say that it's by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews could not keep it themselves, so they put, should not put that same bondage on the Gentiles. You have a cho- choice of yokes to take, you guys. Legalism and the law, which is heavy, heavy and hopeless and, again, will lead to failure and condemnation and burden, or the, the yoke of our Lord. And His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Amen? Which, which yoke do you want to have upon you? Who do you want to be yoked with? You want to be locked up with Jesus or a legalist? Who do you want to have over for dinner at your house? Shouldn't be eating that, shouldn't be doing that, shouldn't be, right? I noticed your car's red, that's from the devil. I know, you know. You'd be amazed how many things people tell you are from the devil. I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ, how about you, amen? I'm so glad I'm not trying to measure up. I'm so glad I'm not trying to be good enough. Verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, what did he just say? Paul now proceeds to give some reasons for the exhortation to stand fast in liberty. He says, because if you think that the keeping of the law is the answer, then Christ is of no value to you anymore. Christ will now profit you nothing. Then the cross is not going to be the answer for you anymore. You've turned away from it. How do you turn away from it? By turning to legalism. Why? Because what does legalism say? Legalism says, I can achieve a right standing before God through my efforts. And as soon as we get to that point, we're no longer broken and desperate over our sin to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he says to them, to the Gentiles that are in Galatia, if you guys are circumcised, cross of Christ is no longer... Now is he talking about... If you've had surgery, that's going to keep you from getting into heaven? No. He's talking to them, if you're going to turn around and try to keep the law as a way of having a right relationship with God, then you've turned away from the cross. That's heavy, isn't it? That's very heavy. Think about that next time you want to get legalistic about things. Next time you want to start adding to the gospel of Christ. And let me say this. Here's a good definition for legalism. You might be sitting there going, what is legalism anyway? My first time here. Legalism is when you take a personal conviction that you have that is above and beyond the Word of God and start making everybody else live up to it. When you decide what the rules are instead of letting God decide. 
well, I don't think you should do this. So if you do that, you're not really walking with the Lord. And you know what? We see it in the church today. And it binds people. You know what? Paul taught the promised blessings of the Lord came through you on a basis of faith, not on works of the flesh. And when you choose the flesh over faith, Christ will profit you nothing. Because His promised blessings are received by faith, not achieved by the flesh. That's how they're received, you guys. There's a peace in that, isn't there? There's such a peace in knowing that when I stand before Almighty God, as I said last week, I'm not going to stand there with a list of my, here's the sins and here's the good works, and then there's a scale, and you may or may not make it in. Aren't you glad they're not doing that? Man, that'd be rough, wouldn't it? I wouldn't want anybody else in the room when they brought my scale out. Oh, no, you know. Here's your sin, <laughs> right? For, you know, 40 gold bricks, right? Here's your sin. Here's your, here's your good works, you know, three feathers. Oh, not working out. And, you know, that's the sad part is that we try, if we try to do it in those ways, we're going to stand before God and we'll never measure up. But here's the good news. When we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, I'm simply going to be standing next to Jesus. He paid the price. The the Father will see me through His shed blood. And that's why I will be worthy to enter in. No other reason. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus Christ. Amen? Our source of salvation. And so He says there, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. If If you're being judged based on the law, if you want that to be your standard, okay. Then Christ will not be there standing next to you on Judgment Day. The law will. If that's your standard, then that's the standard you'll be measured by. When you stand before God, okay, let's bring out the law. Let's bring out the scales. Let's see how it worked out. It will profit you nothing. Christ will profit you nothing. You know why? Because law and grace cannot coexist. Adding the law destroys grace. If you choose the law, you let go of grace. You can't have both. Choose one. God's riches at Christ's expense or your salvation based on your good works. Which one? Choose. Boy, I failed the first one so bad, it was an easy choice for me. Amen? I fell so short. I was so far away from the center of God's will. Galatians 3 says this, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. The law is not our taskmaster anymore. We've already been saved. We're already born again. We're already going to heaven. Remember what he said about the bondwoman last week? What did, what did, what did uh, God tell Abraham to do with the bondwoman after his wife began to murmur? By the way, his wife told him to marry the young chick, and then he got mad when she did. Don't do that! Your wife's wrong sometimes. I know women, you don't think that's true. And your husband's wrong too sometimes. Amen. That's why the Word of God's the authority. But what happened? He told him, get the bondwoman out of here. Why? Because the bondwoman is a representation of the law. We're not under the law anymore. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep what? The whole law. So if you want to make the law your standard, then make all of it your standard. Because God is holy, perfect, and righteous. And how many sins can He have in His presence? Zero. So since He can have no sin in His presence, I'd better be perfect if I'm going to approach Him. We can only come near to Him in holiness. And we, are never, can, we can never be made holy by keeping the whole law because it's impossible. What is the whole law? 
all of the commandments, all of the sacrifices, all of the feasts, all of the time. Can you imagine? What a burden. Those are the people with the black robes, with a wheelbarrow full of rules, with heaven at the end, right? Oh, yeah, we're going, yeah I'm a Christian. Oh, it's just, oh, man. Got to keep all of this stuff. Trying to keep it all in order over here. You know, and I got the black, and I hit myself on the face with the board every three steps just to, you know, I mean, that, and that's not Christianity, amen? There's joy that comes from knowing Christ. I'm free in Him. I've been set free. I'm no longer bound by the law. No amount of obedience makes up for an act of disobedience. I put this down as an analogy. Imagine driving 120 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. A police officer pulls you over. He's not only going to give you a ticket, he's going to drag you from your car and put you in the back of his car and take you down to jail. But he comes to the car and you say, well, you shouldn't give me a speeding ticket. Why? I'm a good father. Okay. I give to charity. All right. I, I, uh, you know, I helped a wounded squirrel last week. I mean, we want to give them all these rules, right? Here's the thing. You are speeding. Amen? And you're busted for speeding. And no matter how many other good works you did, you're still guilty. And we stand before Almighty God. Well, I give to charity. Well, I was a good father. Well, I, you know, I helped a wounded squirrel. You know what? You're still guilty. Your good works will never overcome the sin that's in your life. And that's why if you make the law the standard, it's a yoke of bondage. It is a heavy burden that you will never, ever be able to overcome. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. Can there be any more tragic words than that? You become estranged from Christ. It is the legalist who self-righteously proclaims himself to be more holy who will try to convince you that there's something missing. And you know what? All he's done is estranged himself from Christ. All he's done is broken fellowship with Almighty God by turning to the law and his own fleshly behavior over simply trusting in the grace of God. I know that I'm belaboring this point, but you know what? Paul did it for a reason. Because our flesh loves to be judged. It really does. We love to be put on a standard and compared to others. Don't we? We want to be graded on the curve. I'm much better than that person. I'm better than that one. I better read my Bible more than him. And we start to judge ourselves on our holiness based on our activities. But here's the thing, you guys. We can do that judgment based on the other people thing, but there's only one other person you're going to be judged in comparison to, and that's Jesus. And how's that working out for you? He doesn't grade on the curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? It's not how much better you are than Osama bin Laden. It's who you are in comparison to Almighty God. And that's why we need His grace. That is why we must stay desperate for Him. You're not drawing closer to God by being legalistic, but you're being estranged from Him. You've made the cross of Christ of no effect. Jesus dying on the cross, pouring out His blood, His life, His agony, His love for you, will profit you nothing if you turn to the law. It will be of no value to you. Because you've told him, okay, I understand your standard, but I've got my own. 
I understand you're telling me I need to die to self and turn my life over to you and be desperate for you and ask you to be not just my Savior but my Lord, but you know what? I just as soon kind of try to do it my way. And this is going to be my attempt, and this is the way I'm going to go. And when you add to the cross, you've turned away from it. And it's so key that we walk out of here understanding that. Attempting to come to Him by your own efforts makes the cross of Christ worthless. You've fallen, it says there, you become estranged to Christ. You attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. While you're seeking to achieve God's grace in the flesh, you cannot receive God's grace by faith. It's either faith or the flesh choose one. It's either faith in Christ or the works of my flesh. You no longer stand under grace. You stand under the law. Again, can there be anything better than knowing that Jesus Christ is who I'm seen through His blood, through His works, through His holiness, through His grace, is how I'm being judged. What a blessing. What a privilege. What a joy. Look at verse 5. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So how do we wait? How do we, again, seek to be made righteous? Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord, and it's by the Spirit that we eagerly await. It's an attitude of intense yearning. Stand again. Not striving, but standing fast. Not striving in the flesh, but standing fast in the Lord. Not wavering from the Lord because of your circumstances. Not wavering from the Lord because you just lost your job. Or you were diagnosed with cancer. Or your house got destroyed in a flood. You know what, guys? When, God is all, when the Lord is all you have, you'll figure out that the Lord is all you need. Amen? And too often what happens is that our faith in Christ is based on our circumstances, and that's not faith. That's not faith. That's, again, if God does good things for me, then I'll love Him. He's already done the greatest thing for you. You ought to love Him. Amen? Legalists striving in the flesh in hopes of achieving righteousness through keeping the law, but we by the Spirit eagerly wait, eagerly wait, standing fast for the hope of righteousness, not by the law, but by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So it's not being circumcised that saves you or not being circumcised that saves you. Those walking in the Spirit know that by being circumcised or or uncircumcised means nothing. Rituals, rules, rites, religions cannot make you righteous. So it's not whether you're circumcised or not. It's not whether you're baptized or not. It's not whether you kept the rules or not. It's all about where you stand with the Lord. Faith working through what? What does it say? Love. Not faith working through the law. Not faith working through striving. Not faith working through judgment. But faith working through love. How do you know someone really has faith in the Lord? They shall know us by what? The what? Love we have one for another. True faith is more than just believing. It does produce an action. And what is the action? The action is love. Verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Here's what he says. You guys started great. You guys were serving God. You understood the cross of Christ. Christ. You had a great joy. And then what changed? Who hindered you? Notice it's a who that hinders them, not a what. And Paul loves to talk about running. You ever notice that? Let's talk about races and sports, and I think Paul and I got along. And here's the thing. 
Paul loves to talk about it. He says, you're running a race, and who is it that tripped you up? Who is it that kept you from finishing strong? Who is it that kept you from keeping your eyes on the prize? Who stumbled you? You started well. Who tripped you up? And look what it says. This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. The hindering doesn't come from God. The hindrance comes from man. It's when men bring expectations upon you that you're hindered in your walk with God. It's when men start to tell you the rules that you need to keep. They don't come from God and they don't come from reading His Word. They come from man. You know what? There's no way you could belong to any of the cults that exist today if you only read your Bible. It's impossible. You would never be a Mormon reading only your Bible. That's why they got to have a bunch of other books. Because the, you would never get it reading the Bible. You would never think you were going to be God of your own planet reading the Bible. You would never think that Jesus and Satan were brothers reading your Bible. Is that true? But yet, those are doctrines of Mormonism. Why? Because they got other books. Who hindered you? Some man's writings hindered me. You would never believe that you were going to, again, that, that, say that Jesus is Michael the archangel, like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. You would never believe that by reading the Bible. But you would by reading other, the books that they, and their magazines that they hand out. Blows me away. How about your Bible? People always ask me, Pastor Dave, you read any good books lately? You know what? I read one every day. This is the good book right here, amen? amen? And too often we're looking for the next book and the next fashion and the next thing. and the, Oh, what's the next thing that's going to make my walk better? Did you hear about the new book that came out? Oh, and the new trend that comes out and there's a new one sweeping the church. Every, every, you know, and the pastor changes the vision for the church based on which book he read last. And I'm not bagging all these books. You know, the prayer of Jabez, oh, that's going to change your life. Oh, it's the you know, it's, it's 40 days of purpose. It's the whatever. You know what? It's the, this book right here. We don't have to wait for a man to publish another book. Almighty God's already given us 66 and bound them in one spot. Amen? And it's in your hand. And we don't need to turn to any other books. What hindered you? The writings of other men. What other men say? What other men believe? Our basis for belief is God's word, not man's opinion. Amen? God's word. That's enough. You know what? I could study this thing if the Lord let me live 200 years and I think I'd be scratching the surface. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is so deep, so rich, so powerful. I mean, can you imagine? You can have either Almighty God come and sit with you and speak directly to you or you can hear what men think. Choose. This is God's Word. Amen? You want a letter from God or a letter from a man? I'm thinking, give me one from God. Amen? Amen? He loves me. He knows me best. He's the one that paid the price for me. What hindered you? The writings of other men. People come up with weird concepts. And when they do, people come up to me and tell me something. Pastor Dave, I believe this. Where did you get that? You know where you didn't get it? The Bible. You were listening to somebody on the radio, or you were reading some book, and then you come and tell me, oh yeah, you know, this is, this is what's happening. And well, well, You got a verse for that? Well, No. Can you support that from God's Word? Well, no. Then why are you telling me? I don't care. Amen? Amen. I never say that to anybody out loud. I just did. 
Sometimes people come up to me with the most whacked out stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, I got an email this week that Jesus is coming back on October 4th. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. Who's right? God's word. Amen. Where did you hear that? I went right back. Where did you hear that? Not from reading the Bible. Amen. Who hindered you? Man. Who tripped you up? Man. Who got you to turn your eyes away from God? Some guy. Amen? That's why you don't elevate man, even this pastor. Amen. I'm a man. It's God's word. Amen? It's God's word that transforms lives. False concepts, heresies, they come from men. Why do I encourage you guys to read your Bible so much? Why? Why? Why is it I will never, ever, ever put the words of the Bible up on a screen? You know why? Because if I put it on the screen, you won't bring your Bible. If you don't bring your Bible, then that means there's another reason for you not to carry it around. If you're not carrying it around at church on Sunday, you're probably not carrying it around during the week. Amen. So I always just make you, it'd be a lot easier and a lot cheaper to put the words on a screen than to buy 100 Bibles every month. But I'll buy 1,000 Bibles. Amen. Let's put them in your hand. So you open it up. And not only that, then you know it's in the Bible, and I didn't just type stuff up there. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Don't let men hinder you. Simple truth of God's words. Not what's in the magazines. Remember this. So sh now, Pastor Dave, we have a Christian bookstore right over there. <laughs> what's up with that? We've got people who come two hours early to set it up. We sell books at cost. You can get more of them. And now you're telling me, read my Bible. Here's how it works. The Word of God is meat and potatoes. The Word of God is your source of nutrition, your source of spiritual growth. Christian books are vitamins. If you're eating the meat and potatoes and you're full and you want to grab some vitamins and you can compare them in the light of Scripture because you know God's Word then vitamins are a good thing. I encourage you to take some. But let me say this. You try to survive eating only vitamins, you're going to die real quick. You're going to be emaciated and weak. Don't substitute any book for God's Word because no other author comes close. Amen. Amen? The Word of God is what transforms our lives. Verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you underline verses in your Bible, that's a good one to underline. Leaven is the corrupting agent that causes bread to rise. And in Scripture, it is a symbol of sin. Sin spreads rapidly, corrupts all that it comes into contact with. And the false teaching of the Judaizers was not from God. And instead, what was it doing? It was corrupting everything that it came into contact with. If we allow a little leaven of legalism into the church, what have we done? We've corrupted the whole thing. If we allow a little bit of leaven into our own lives, what have we done? We've corrupted everything. If we start to fall into these traps, that's why we must stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. The message of the cross, some say, is too offensive. I've had pastors tell me that. Flat out. Look me in the face. Dave, you just don't get it. I don't get it. Okay. That, I'm sure that's true in a lot of areas of my life. You don't get it. People are not going to stand for you telling them about the cross of Christ and telling them they're sinners anymore. You need to give them the message they'll be more comfortable with. You know what? You might be comfortable with it, but it won't transform your life. It's the cross of Christ. And if I haven't told you today, you're sinners. Amen? 
I'm not going back to that church. They told me I'm a sinner. So they told you the truth? You don't want to go back there anymore? You're a sinner saved by grace, and we need to understand we're sinners, or we'll never see a need for a Savior. And we don't want to water down the message. We don't want to dial it down and make it less than it is, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. When we start compromising and watering it down and making the gospel, making the cross less than it is, we've defeated it. We've, we've, again, turned from grace. Stand fast in Christian liberty. Not freedom to sin, but it delivers us from it. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. He said, you know what? I love the word of Paul here. He's, he's encouraging them. I have confidence in you. You've learned the truth. You know what it is. I have confidence in you that you can turn back to it. But whoever it is that's been tripping you up is going to face some heavy-duty judgment. That's my paraphrase of that verse. Whoever's been tripping you up, it's not going to be pretty for them on Judgment Day. How'd you like to be Joseph Smith in eternity? Founder of the Mormon church. Not too good. Wouldn't like that too much. Would not be much of a blessing. I have confidence in you that you will again return to what you've been taught. But he who judges you again will not be able to escape. The Bible says this of someone who would stumble one of God's children. In Matthew 18, it's better for him if a millstone were tied around his neck and he were cast where? In the depths of the sea. If you've been to Israel with us, you've seen a millstone. You don't want to carry one around, let alone have one around your neck. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Paul makes it clear that he no longer preaches the necessity of circumcision and says, if I were, then why do you guys continue to persecute me. Why do you guys who preach circumcision coming after me? Because I no longer preach it. It's not, it's not the focus of my message anymore. Now why did they accuse him of preaching circumcision? Because he did tell Timothy to be circumcised. You guys remember that? But why did he do that? Because he did not want the gospel to be hindered because people wouldn't listen to Timothy's words because they found out he wasn't circumcised. So in that case he said, Hey, be circumcised so they'll hear the gospel. He didn't say be circumcised so you'll be saved. Two different things, amen? It'd be like the difference between I go to a vegetarian's house so I eat only vegetables in front of them or have a vegetarian to my house and I eat only vegetables in front of them so I don't stumble them. Okay, praise God. But if I turn around and tell somebody else, if you don't eat anything but vegetables, you're going to hell. Two different situations, Amen. And that was Paul's heart. He said, you know what, if my being circumcised is going to get the gospel out, I'll do it. But circumcision cannot be something that is necessary for salvation. Verse 12. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. You know, Paul sometimes gets direct. The word here for cut themselves off, it's castrate. Paul says, and you know you guys over there, they're talking about circumcision and adding the law and putting a burden on my folks. And, you know, he's the pastor of these churches. And you've been tripping my people up. And they're headed, you know, to Christ and they're running well and you're tripping them up. I just assume you guys, you want circumcision? Why don't you just castrate yourselves completely? That's what Paul says. It's in the Bible. How does Paul feel about people adding the law to the gospel of grace? He's very direct, and I like that about him. It's hard to imagine I like someone who's direct. But he said he'd like to see them both physically castrated and spiritually, that they would be unable to reproduce. That was his heart. I don't want you reproduced. I don't want to see anybody else like you. Right? 
I don't want to see any more legalistic people like you. I just assume you guys were cut off completely, spiritually, physically, whatever it takes. And you know what? Because you don't understand the gospel of grace. You've missed it completely. You don't understand how much the Lord loves us. Well, I guess we're going to do fruits 13 through 15 next week. But let me say this. What are the results of abandoning the liberty of legalism? Liberty for legalism. What happens when we leave liberty behind? We'll see it next week. Next week he's going to talk to us about the fact that we don't use liberty for, as an excuse for sin. What is liberty? Liberty should produce love. That's what it does. You know what legalism does? It doesn't produce, it cannot produce love. Legalism produces arrogance, self-confidence, an attitude, condemnation, a, a yoke of bondage. And liberty produces grace, love, mercy, kindness towards others. It changes our whole heart. You know why? Here's the difference. And I'm going to close with this. Here's the difference. When I'm walking in the liberty of the Lord, what do I believe saved me? What do I know saved me? The love of God and His shed blood upon the cross. When I'm walking in legalism, who do I think is the person who is the reason for my salvation? Who's earned it? I do. So this one over here makes me humble. This one over here makes me arrogant. This one over here keeps me desperate for God, realizing without Him I can do nothing. This one over here makes me more and more arrogant and more and more full of myself and more and more self-confident and more and more condemning of everybody else who's not as holy as I am. This one over here makes me realize I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread when I come into contact with anybody else because I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. This one over here makes me feel self-righteous and holier than thou. Is there a difference between liberty and legalism? What an incredible thing. Guys, can I encourage you? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. He died so you wouldn't have to. He took all of your sin upon himself. I used an, uh, an illustration a couple weeks ago. Jesus came, lived a sinless, holy, perfect life. We came, lived sinful, wicked, perverse lives. We deserved separation from God. We deserved to be crucified. We deserve hellfire. We deserve it. Jesus deserves heaven. He's perfect, holy God. He deserves no judgment. And so what did Jesus do? He switched places with us. He gives us heaven, and He took our judgment. How can we in the world try to improve on that? Amen? May we stand fast in our liberty in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your infinite mercy. And we do pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would help us, Lord, not to try to earn what has already been given. Help us, Lord, not to try to achieve things that, Lord, we can have by simply coming to you broken, desperate for you, seeking only your cross. Lord, I pray that we would not be legalistic, but, Lord, and, Lord, that we would not operate in license, but, Father, we would stand fast in your liberty, stand fast in the freedom that we have in you, that we would be people filled with love and joy and peace and kindness. Lord, I do pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you. Lord, soften their hearts and open their eyes to your love and your grace. Lord, that they wouldn't sit here thinking they're not good enough. Lord, may they know that none of us are good enough. That's why Jesus had to come. And Lord, that your grace is sufficient for everybody in this room. 
So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray for us even now, that as we worship, that our hearts would be focused again on your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.